Welcome back. You're listening to another episode of Amateur Hour, a professional sports podcast by people who have never played professional sports. I'm your host, Max, along with Shreyas. And let's talk sports. Amateur Hour. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to episode 26 of Amateur Hour. Today, we have a very special guest with us. It is another guest episode. We have the very real, the very talented old friend, Anna Rude Durendra, with us here today. Me and Andy go way back. We knew each other back in undergrad. And Andy has such a cool history and such a cool background growing up with sports, growing up competing to be in the Olympics, growing up through through uh, through injuries, through setbacks, but also through some great triumphs. Andy is a super cool dude. And I am thrilled to have him on the show with us today. Andy, thank you for being here. Oh, man, that was that was quite the introduction. Thank you so much, <laughs> Max. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Like I've been I've been listening to all your episodes and I'm like, this is awesome. Like when I when Max asked me to like, oh, hey, would you be able to, to come come on down for the show? And I was like, yes. <laughs> i'm not i'm not desperate i just yeah please <laughs> we're glad you're excited this is great yeah. to have you Thanks yeah no it, re- it really is good to have and it's been a long time since me and andy have even sat down and had a chat i mean we used to we used to see each other nearly every day yeah. when we were an undergrad before yeah. you graduated we um, we kind of yeah we were we were sort of living with each other it was like eat workout a couple times tours yeah. everything yeah, me and Andy actually used to work the same job as tour guides. So we would go around advertising in a way our campus to prospective families, students, things like that. And I got to say, I got to say, you know, a lot pretty much everybody that they hired was like to some level good at their job, but Andy was one of the greats. I would also put myself up there in that category, but Andy was one of the greats. No, you were. I mean, I think the greatest tour that UMass ever experienced was our tandem tour. The the one yes. and only single tandem tour of ours. It was a limited time event. It was the tickets sold out like like that. They were they went. As <laughs> I mean, as they every market, every I mean, child was... that went on that tour came to UMass. It was a hundred percent. Drake was there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you sold you sold merch. Yeah. <laughs> Coach K was there. <laughs> Kevin Durant was there. Drake was there. Uh, LeBron phoned in. I mean, there was, there was, yeah. you know, if you were anybody, who was yeah. anybody was on that tour. <laughs> he was like, Bronny has a game, but I got to I got to go visit Max. And Andy yeah. It's when he came to watch him in uh, Springfield. He came out. <laughs> yeah. He took a, he took a quick twig detour to, to UMass Amherst. <laughs> so Andy, where are you at right now? So how, how has your life been over the past year, year and a half? Yeah, so my my past year was actually quite the roller coaster because um, I was actually in LA this time last month. I mean, last year, and I was working there. I had already been working there a year, uh, but then once COVID hit, I lost my job, obviously, because um, things hit so hard. And then right, I was sort of in right. a limbo for about five months. So lost my job in March, was in LA till about August, just doing nothing. I did what every quintessential athlete does that starts an Instagram page and talks about fitness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the whole push-up challenges and everything. And then in August, I moved back home to India. That's uh, Bangalore, India. 
And I sort of stayed in that limbo for a while just because things were pretty bad here too. And then I would say yeah. November was when things sort of started easing up. So I kind of got back on my, my training regime. So started working out, um, sort of started living a normal life, got into a relationship as well. That was a big thing. First time. Um, and then we got hit again. So I enjoyed November, December, January, February, and then March, we got hit again with another uh -huh. wave. And then we, we had to deal with that for about two weeks. And then we opened up again in April. And then in May, we got hit hard. And then we were in lockdown from May till about now. Right. Um, so at home, I was kind of bored, was kind of frustrated. Uh, yeah. At first was trying to be sort of the, the proactive guy that's doing a lot of stuff, but that kind of died down pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I was like, so I have a bunch of business ideas in mind that I kind of sort of filtered through, did a little bit on that, tried to learn Spanish, didn't get past like the basics. Como se dice? I was like, I was like, Como se dice Espanol. Yeah. And then just like, and then it was like, no hablo inglés. <laughs> what were you, what were you using? I was using this app called Busu. Oh, I've not heard of that one. And the only reason I did is because they gave me a great deal. It was 10 bucks for a whole year. Oh, that's good. What? Yeah. yeah, that is good. And so I was like, yeah, that's a deal. I'll do it. A year. I can learn Spanish in a year. Spent two months. <laughs> stopped. <laughs> uh, but then I got into, I got into crypto as well. So oh, I oh, jumped nice. into, uh. I jumped into crypto in, I think early January uh, rode that wave high till April and then crashed and burned hard in May. Uh, yeah. And then I was just like, yeah. Thank you, Thank you Elon Musk. Yeah. I was like, come on. Elon, no, just... But actually though, yep. <laughs> it was, it was, it was thank you, Elon. And thank you, China. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah. Was... Did, you... did you, wait, Andy, did you buy any Dogecoin? Oh, I was going to ask. Yeah. I hadn't then I did now. So, um, <laughs> I think it was two weeks back, Coinbase had this like sort of giveaway thing where they said if you buy 100 bucks worth of Doge, you'll have a chance to win 30000 or potentially $100,000 in Doge coin. Oh, and wow. I was like, I'll yeah. do the raffle. Like, why not? I'll put in 100 bucks. If it works, great. If it doesn't, like, it'll go up at some point. Right. Um, so I invested in Doge then, but I was strictly against it otherwise. Cause I was like, I'm not giving Elon the satisfaction, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's it was going. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was, it was up and down. I think I went through like a solid month of like borderline depression, uh, when that final lockdown had happened. So pretty much like half of May to June. It was just sort of like a, why do anything? Like this is all pointless type of deal. Yeah. Um, and that's a yeah. very that's a real thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Shrey, did you ever, Shrey, did you ever experience, because in my mind, Shrey, is you have everything figured out all the time. Like you, so, <laughs> I feel like from undergrad, you give off this illusion of like, you're like, okay, do so I, I have this like step and then I have this step. And then if wow. this doesn't work, I'm going to do this. So did you ever feel that frustration? Yeah. Yeah. I changed career paths. I was going to be 
like I was on the pre-med track and then I took the pre-med exam and said, I don't want to do this anymore because I wasn't yeah. like in it. And then I decided to move on a more business and data analyst type route and, you mm -hmm. know, then COVID hit and now I'm trying, you know, had to find a job and now I'm just trying to get my foot in the door. Uh, mm -hmm with where I am right now and then also hopefully in the future. So, yeah, so I've definitely been in spots uh, where I feel like you don't know where you're going, but you just have to take it a day at a time. And then mm. hopefully one of, one of the days is like, oh, actually, like, I like where I'm at. Like, you just had, yeah. you, like, if you, if I feel like if, if I kept thinking about the uncertainty in the future, and I have a really bad habit of, thinking too far in the future and getting stressed about something that I need to like five different steps just to get to. Right. Mm -hmm. I have like a bad habit of that. But if I like think about, okay, can I make this week any better than the last or like make this, you know, couple weeks better than the last couple of weeks, then I'm like, okay, yeah, I like where I'm at now versus the last couple of weeks. And then it, it kind of hopefully will snowball from there. If not, then, you know, I have to find a way to turn it around it's it's definitely a difficult path yeah so you bring it you break it down then yeah i i will I, yeah if i get in my own head i have to break it down otherwise then i just don't, you go, I it's, like, it's yeah, a downward do spiral anything. after that right i just can't do mm -hmm. anything yeah mm -hmm. yeah wow i mean yeah I, i'm sure i i'm gonna i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that it's not just the three people in this conversation that have felt like mm -hmm. this especially people our age yep if you're anywhere from 16 to 26 you know, when you're trying to figure your life out, I mean, having everything shut down and there's a part of me now that things are, you know, starting to open up again. There's a part of me that's like reluctant. I'm like, oh, well, I've been comfortable living at home. You know, mm -hmm. I've been making do. It's mm -hmm. kind of, I can, why, why don't I just stay here? But then like you go out, you even just go for a drive and you're like, okay, I need to like get out, get stuff together. Yeah. But it's that uncertainty that kills you. That was the thing that I think kept me going when I was in the States is that I was doing like a weekly drive. I was just going out for a drive every week. Yep. Uh, and I was doing it in my in my dream car, which was like the 67 Stang. So it just it gave me it gave me it gave me a smile <laughs> just being in that car. Max has been in that car multiple times. Um, uh, that car was beautiful. And Andy, uh, the props to you for buying that car and having one of the coolest cars on our college campus. Yeah, I, I loved it. Like, even if I didn't get any attention or was considered a total dick for having that car especially <laughs> on a campus like umass where it's like no but you're harming the environment i was like i don't care <laughs> i'm living the american dream i've come from india i own an american muscle sports car i don't care <laughs> if i yeah. if i'm if i'm making a hole in the ozone above umass just for this <laughs> mama i've made it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Andy, we wanted to uh, talk to you about your weekly high. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a segment that we do every week, mm -hmm. and we do it amongst ourselves, Max and I. Mm -hmm. But when our guest comes on, we usually have them, you know, take the stage and talk about, you know, what happened this week that was really uh, mm -hmm. positive. So, mm -hmm. uh, anything that you can share with us from this week that you thought was really good? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this was actually my first week back where I had a consistent week of working out nice. um i've been so the thing is like i'm still working out at home with the limited amount of equipment that i have but it was 
less to do with the equipment and more to do with just the lack of self-motivation. Um, as I said, like with the, the slightly depressive phase that I had, it's, I sort of just kind of lost my mojo. And I think that's yeah. what it was. I got my mojo back this past week, which was huge for me. Yeah. 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 So that that's was, good. that was, that was definitely my, my personal weekly high. Well, so I was going to say, so every, so you went, every, you worked out every day this week and you felt like really good about yourself and just kind of like pumped for the next week almost. Yeah, like just the just that consistency coming back, mm -hmm. right? That was that That's was really the good. biggest thing. Yeah, yeah. My sports Super weekly sport. high was was CP three making it to the finals. Oh yeah, yes, I sir. I'm so I'm so happy Chris Paul finally made it to the finals, especially after that that game seven against the Warriors when he got hurt, and you're like, I mean, the game six when he got hurt, yeah. and then game seven they lost out. Yeah. Oh, and the, yeah, I definitely breathe. I definitely breathed this sigh of relief when he ended the game. Healthy yeah, yeah. On game six, yeah, yeah. Because I was like, we can't have this happen again. Exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, I thought he was gonna get. I, th I thought he was gonna get hurt when Paul when... George <laughs> crossed him up really bad. And I was like, oh, oh, when he was on again. skates and he went yeah. halfway across the court. Yeah, yeah. yeah that I was really <laughs> scared when Patrick Beverly threw him across too. Like when oh, he no, shoved yeah. him, when he shoved him, I was like, please, I hope his shoulder survived that. And then nothing happened to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he is kind of a, you know, I, I, I have mixed feelings about him to be completely honest after last season in the bubble with his beef, with his, with his unfounded beef with Dame. Like he, yeah. when he just was literally like going and when him and Paul George were going after Dame's like family, yeah. that was a little like suspect yeah. to me. And then this season, like, he wasn't great in the regular season playoffs come he's turning it up but a lot of the things i mean you saw what he did to devin booker's nose and i understand that was like an accidental collision yeah but you don't need to like put your head into somebody else's head you know what i mean he does he does have the it, like instigator up to the max and sometimes and obviously it gets to a fault when you try to be like you know too much of the persona that you are yeah and it and it hurts it hurts your team like you you see draymond he got suspended a game yeah. right because he he yeah. took the he took the kicking of the crotch yep. up a notch yep. right like like yeah you can get away with maybe a couple trips or something but when you yep. <laughs> literally jam your foot into the into the the, the lower area of a male and, and that's the thing <laughs> though Trez, that's that's a great point because like you noticed draymond mature from that but right. but somehow Beverly is just going the other way. Yeah, Patrick Beverly is <laughs> not young anymore. Yeah, no, and that's the thing, right? So he had he had all the issues in the bubble, and then he turned it up a notch, but the other way. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, and he has. I will give him this. He has become a better spot up three point shooter, and I think he showed it in the series. But yeah, the attitude. I don't know how many teams especially if he's doing this on like a really good team. Like I was talking, I was talking to a couple friends. What if he was on like the Timberwolves, right? He would get frustrated every day of his yeah, life. And he would, he'd probably be suspended a couple, <laughs> like a couple games in the season. Like he's doing, yeah. he's doing this on the Clippers. Yeah. And they're who really are a good, good team. Yeah. Yes. We're, who are pretty good. Like, I don't know. I don't know how, if he doesn't have like some sort of shift in attitude and kind of, you know, he can still be an instigator, but he can't be a, just a detriment. Yeah. I think that's the the line he has to find. Yeah, he needs to he needs to realize that he can't be a liability to the team. Right. 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And getting a technical foul and getting a flagrant foul and stuff like that, that is a liability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are you are handing the other team points, especially when it comes to those clutch games. And, and also, too, as a defender, he people say that he can guard kind of like Marcus Smart. You know, they're like, oh, Marcus Smart can guard up to the four. They say, oh, Pat Bev can guard up to the four. But I've seen him try to guard people like Anthony Davis, try to guard people, you know, like Carl Anthony Townsend, the larger lengthier forwards of the league and he's still he can't do it because he doesn't have the size yeah he's six, or the strength well, he, to do he, it he's six one so like yeah. i think i think that's a, a team thing that they see how feisty is on the defensive end and they're like oh like that guy can guard anybody one he has five. the hustle and he can do it he has the hustle like that's like i think <laughs> that's like the when you see someone be a really good defensive player like marcus smart or you know patrick beverly you see like oh they're that good of a defensive player. They probably could guard anybody. And then you, you call them like the Giannis stopper. And the, like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, right. But then they don't have this, like, like you said, they don't have the size to, to match up. And I think the team needs to get out of their own head and say, yo, Marcus, I don't think you should be guarding like Boban Giannis or yeah. LeBron. Like, Sa- I think the other problem, <laughs> I think the other problem is that they, they might have one good night when any of these aforementioned players have a bad night. Mm-hmm. And they assume that it's because of their defense. Right. Yes. And right. so then it's like, yeah, but he did it there, so he can do it anytime. Come on, and... where's the data analytics? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a small that's a one that's a one game sample size. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, not to say that there aren't not to say that Pat Bev is a bad defender in any way, because he he, he you know, he is no, good, he's pretty, he hustles, he's good, yeah. he keeps his feet in front of people, he pokes, he agitates. You know, on on the ball as well. Yeah. But then you you know you do have like legitimately good defensive guards in like Drew Holiday and mm. the playoff series with the Bucks and the Hawks. I mean, Drew shined. Yeah, he, he shined. Up. That man was everywhere on defense. And even though he had some games where his offense was not quite all the way together, his defense was always phenomenal. Yeah, I that it, was that was something I was actually telling a couple of my friends too. I was like. He is the main difference maker between the Bucks last year and the Bucks this year. Hundred percent. Him and Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis <laughs> stepped up too. Yeah. PJ, PJ Tucker too. I think PJ Tucker. Oh, I think true. they had some. They had some like they had one of the best deadlines. Not that I think about it, because they got Drew Holiday and PJ Tucker on the same yeah. deadline. Oh yeah. Like that's that's two players that one was able to. Not like okay, he didn't stop KD, and who can? But like he stood up to KD, and he stood like he gave them like he some put sort up of a edge. good fight against KD right. too, and he played within himself. He didn't like obviously now that we're talking about Patrick Beverly, PJ Tucker is who Patrick Beverly should like kind of look at and be yeah. like, oh okay, I can do all of the feistiness, and I can be a great defender, and I don't have to like roll on the ground and push people, and you know yeah. I don't have to do all that stuff to, to be a good player. PJ Tucker was really awesome this playoffs, yeah. I think. Yeah, I agree. So while we're here, who do you guys think is going to be taking the finals this year? The Bucks or the Suns? I personally think that the Suns are a little more consistent. Like mm-hmm. they've okay. they've only had, I think, throughout this run, they've only had maybe three games or four games where they just completely struggled. Like everyone struggled shooting. Uh, they were like just not clicking. And mm-hmm. with the Bucks, it was it was more than that. Like they, mm-hmm. it's it seems that it's 
at least offensively, the Bucks have been heavily dependent on Middleton and Giannis. And the fact that Giannis is, is injured is not helping that cause. Right. All right. So my I, take would be the Suns. Sorry. The Suns. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. I think I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think Giannis is huge to how the Bucks get stay and get into games. And I feel like the reason why they were able to beat Atlanta is A, they had when you, when you take Giannis and a healthy Trey Young out of the equation, the Bucks just have more talent, mm-hmm. front end talent. Like Drew Holiday, mm-hmm. they there's no Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton on the on the Hawks side. So you saw that come through because you know Boyan Bogdanovich couldn't uh, sorry Bogdan Bogdanovich couldn't you know stand up and Kevin Herter didn't have mm-hmm. enough. They just didn't have oh enough. Oh my on that god, side. Kevin Herter! Kevin Herter last night. No, Kevin Herter. This whole series against the Bucks, Kevin Herter was so bad. His shooting was so bad last night. He shot twenty percent. Yeah, yeah. He's, he in yeah. five he has points. Those games. He definitely has those games where I think he he panics a lot and shoots the like jumper the three a terrible like, shot the, the, or even his mid-range yeah, it's just not not good yeah. yeah but when he was when he's on he's really on like that game seven so it's it's kind of like you have to take the both sides of the the spectrum there true with the bucks now now that you're facing a better team like the suns if the suns don't have chris paul right and the the bucks don't have Giannis, the suns i feel like are just a deeper team because you can oh still run by far by Devin, far, yeah. You still have Devin Booker. You still have Aiton. So you still have shooting and size. Then you have so you much three-point shooting. Crowder. Yeah, you have Bridges, Crowder. You have Cam Johnson. You have Payne. And I feel yeah. like all of them right now, regardless of how you think of them as players like singularly, they are playing together as a unit, and they're all shooting really well, like Andy was yeah. saying. Their, so, their, yeah. team, their team chemistry is, is just phenomenal. Yeah. And that's, I think that's something that's underrated about a team is that you look at the top end talent and you're like, oh, well, you know, Giannis versus Booker, Giannis can definitely like, you know, run rings around Booker because of the size and the athleticism. But if Booker is playing within himself and he's, he's doing everything that he can to make his team better and his teammates are doing everything they can to make their team better, then I feel like that's just going to work again. Like that's going to work for the Suns rather than having... Giannis try to take over at some point or you know just 100%. having Middleton take over at some point 100 percent. it may work for a game or two like Middleton brought them that third quarter he had was unreal that's yeah. he had 16 Last, straight yeah. points yeah. Yep. and they had a 44 point third quarter so they have the opportunities to to play well but I feel like they need everyone they need their top end players to really play well because you can't really depend on Brook Lopez every game. You can't depend <laughs> on Bobby Portis every game, even yeah. though they play well. You can't do yeah. it. Well, the so guys on the, the on TNT, yeah, the guys on TNT were even saying, you know, like Chuck, Chuck and Ernie, they, they were like, Brook Lopez had ten dunks. He was on fire in Game Five. Yeah, why isn't he in the paint nearly every possession? Because right. he's shown that he can dominate. Clint Capella was getting bodied like he just couldn't stop him and outside when clint comes off the court they don't have anybody that's big enough to actually like handle lopez yeah they don't have a pj tucker either who's like you know like a pseudo center who is you know strong enough to handle like a true center so brooke lopez was on fire that bobby portis was on fire too and all their points basically came from the paint which allowed like 
Oh, no, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know what happened was when Giannis went out, it basically forced Lopez to act like he's the tallest person in the room, which he is. Yeah. And when Giannis is in the game, right, he takes up so much space in the paint that I think Lopez automatically thinks, well, I got to be one of the shooters now because if we're both in the paint, then we don't have enough shooters on the court. He has the ability to shoot. He averages like two, two and a half threes a game now, which is insane, but he does. But when Giannis is not there, right, they don't have the the height that they do. And so, like, he has to actually play like he did in – in New Jersey, Brooklyn, like he has to be that, that person again. So I think, I think it actually helped him out. Yeah. I think it's also like the same issue the Lakers were having with Davis and Drummond. Cause, mm, cause, yeah. cause Drummond is, is a purely in the paint guy. Right. And Davis wasn't <laughs> able to adapt to that. And so when both of them were in the paint, it was, it was crowding up the paint and then, Teams are just like, yeah, we can we can do whatever we want with these guys because they don't know what to do. Right. That, that's actually that's a great point, Andy. That's actually very legitimate because it for anybody who's ever played basketball, like if you when there's a crowded paint, you need to have shooters around you. But even so, when there's a crowded paint, it's not good for anybody. It's not good for your big man. It's not good for your slashers. It's not good for your shooters and guards because it's as a point guard. How are you going to make a like a, a quick crisp pass if there's three defenders just right there in that little section that are going to like pick off your pass. How are you going to like, you have to rely on your shooters outside. And if there's like two big men or two slashes that are like cutting to the same spots, it's just chaos and you're not going to be able to function. So that's actually a great observation because the Lakers this year just didn't, I don't like, do you know what happened? Because I don't know what happened because on paper, they made the right upgrades. And then you get to the end of the season. I think it it was just the, a, since Davis and LeBron were hurt for so long, they didn't really get to play with Drummond that much. So coming back to like the team chemistry point, they just didn't have that kind of team chemistry that they did last year. Yeah, it definitely should their their bench depth not being good definitely showed when either Davis or LeBron or both were out. Yeah. And they just had to rely on Schroeder and Kuzma and Casey Matthews. And Wes Matthews <laughs> and Ben McLemore. And it's just like, those are players that have reached their ceiling, basically. Yeah. yeah. I feel like, honestly, at this point, Kuzma is what he is. Yeah. Kuzma, Kuzma had that one roasted. great season when LeBron was hurt his first season in LA. Right. Yeah. And that was, that was the peak Kuzma we got to see. We all thought he That's was going to do folks. better, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then there were the, and then I'm pretty sure I saw articles this year. It was like Kuzma's, you know, really turned it up as a defender. <laughs> yeah. And then you looked at the playoffs, and I'm like, and it was so bad. Are they watching the? Are they watching <laughs> the same thing I'm watching? I don't think he's. I think, I think if anything, the volume is on mute when he's on defense. Yeah. <laughs> but even his offense was horrible. Like his offense was oh. trash. Yeah. So bad. But when you depend on him, right? Then you see like, whoa! Like he he has to be the number one when these guys are out. Like. It's, yeah, it yeah, was, but, yeah, but then you look at other teams. You look at the Bucks, right? If Giannis is out, you can depend on Middleton and Holiday. And if Chris Paul is out, you can depend on Booker and Crowder. And you, you can depend on them to actually shoot you into games if needed. Mm. But you couldn't do that mm-hmm. with the Lakers this year. Yeah, that's huge. 
All right, so I want I want to change gears for mm-hmm. a second. I want to go back to just a couple questions for Andy because, like I said in the intro, Andy has a very very interesting and very you know he's a very cool story. So Andy, I just wanted you to like talk to us a little bit about your background with sports in general because, as I recall, you played almost every sport under the sun as you were growing up. So tell yeah. us about your background with sports and how you personally fell in love with competition. Sure. Um, so with me. I, I sort of grew up in a, in a sporty family. Um, my, my grandmother from my dad's side was also an Olympic athlete. I mean, I shouldn't wow. say also. Wow. She was the Olympic athlete. I'm trying to also be the Olympic athlete. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so she was, she was selected for the 1952 Olympics for the 100 meters. Oh, wow. wow. And at the time, we actually we'd found a couple of her certif- certificates two weeks back and they the timing that she had was the third fastest time in the world wow that's crazy so but yeah the craziest part is that she did not participate in those olympics just because like her parents didn't want to travel alone and stuff like that and so it was just like like we were just like oh she would have yeah so she didn't end up going yeah, she she wasn't allowed to go. I mean, oh, no. there's there's sort of politics behind that where it was like her dad didn't specifically say no, you can't, uh-huh. but sort of pressured her into uh, picking not going as the option. I get it. I get. It. Where uh, was the oh, where were the Olympics that year? Uh, in Helsinki. Oh wow. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. So that was that was that was like the the starting point. My dad was also uh, a big judo fighter, fighter athlete. Yeah, I'm not sure what Fight, specific. Yeah, judo, yeah. fighter uh, slash athlete. Sure, fighter <laughs> slash athlete. And so he could yeah, kick your butt is what we're saying. <laughs> he yeah he he went up to he went up to the like the states level and I think he won in the states too. So he was big in judo. Mm. Uh, my mom was a big high school athlete in track and I think she did play a little bit of basketball as well nice 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 but the thing is that the whole family was always involved in sports so we were always an active family and so my parents always did stuff and like even now they play a lot of golf but my introduction happened in the first grade when i ran i ran like whatever the 50 meter race in school and i won and it was just like a fluke there was no training there was nothing done there but my coach saw something in me and he's like you should run and i was like okay and (laughs) (laughs) all right i guess i was like yeah cool sure i'll do that you were like you were like where where do i run (laughs) (laughs) where do you want just go (laughs) and and so then the the following year he entered me into the like city inter-school meet for under eight age group kids for the 200 meters so it was a huge jump like i'd only run 50 meters before that and now i was doing 200 mm. and i ended up winning like we had i think 80 different schools participating and i won hey, uh, wow and so then one of the the coaches at the stadium who was the national coach for sprinting saw something and was like this kid's got it and like, so he should, he should train with me. <laughs> and so we were like, yeah, cool. Sure. Let's do it. <laughs> and, and I think that, that first win, that first gold medal definitely started fueling that competitiveness in me. Cause right. 
up to this point, I'd never lost. Like every race I ran, I won. <laughs> and so I got into it. And then even in school, third grade, I was winning. Fourth grade, I was winning. And even in these, in these inter-school inter meets, I was winning. And then, but the thing was, this coach that started training me was very aggressive because he was used to training high school athletes. And I was like the first whatever, first grade, second grade kid. So I'm like an eight-year-old as compared to double the age. And so right. he was treating oh, wow. me, he was treating me like a 16-year-old, which is not the best way to coach an eight-year-old. Right. Um, right. And I, I took that to heart. I was a sensitive kid. And so I was like, I don't want to train with this guy anymore. Uh, <laughs> and well, in terms of like, what, what would he do? Would he just push you beyond what like your limits would be? Would he just be like, run, 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 you know, that kind of thing? No, so he'd make me do stuff, and if I didn't do it right, or if I wasn't doing it up to expectation, he would like start cussing me out and just like just no. oh wow. yeah, like he was he was okay. very aggressive, and like I remember there was one time he was making me practice jumps, so just to create explosiveness, he was making me do long jump, but like I was jumping off of a box, yeah, box jumps, yeah, 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 and uh, I ended up hitting my foot into the box as compared to like stepping on it uh, right and so instead of seeing whether i'm hurt he just started cussing me out and saying i'm an idiot and like i don't know what to do like i don't even know the basics of box jumps like what's wrong with you and, uh, and yeah that oh was that was sort of the the tipping point you're and you don't know the basic of box jump how dare you andy yeah how dare you not read the <laughs> box jump like, eight-year-old. you're the eight-year-old prodigy you should know all of it by heart already and <laughs> every eight-year-old i've ever seen is known how to do a box jump you you're a failure jump on that gd box i god damn it and the thing is and the thing is i guess i was i guess i was sort of like a diva too and i was just like i don't want to train with him anymore yeah <laughs> i don't like this <laughs> he's mean but it's uh, kind of like eight year old yeah 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 it, it was a complete shock because the coach i had before in school was the nicest greatest coach he was so motivating always pushing uh but pushing in a way that you were trying to push yourself he never made you feel bad about yourself which which is right. the way to be as a coach in my opinion I think, right and i think as a i think as a coach uh, as a teacher you have to understand the kid before you start like figuring out how to coach them absolutely you have to yep. you have to coach them their way not your way right because uh, not everyone takes the same yeah, thing to heart right exactly. like some people may be like like from the get-go like you know i don't care how they speak to me like i know what i need to do blah 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 but some people like you know need a little bit of time and it's okay exactly to get that little bit exactly of time, right but yeah, so then then that kind of sort of deviated me into other sports. Mm -hmm. And so I ran I ran till fifth grade and then in fifth grade I lost my grandmom, the same one that, that went to the Olympics or was selected for the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, and that hit me hard and then I started having issues with my knees because you had those growth spurts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um and it was getting misdiagnosed so i'd go to multiple different doctors and they'd give me the wrong diagnosis as to what the issue with the knee was and so that only made it worse and really? so yeah because like they were thinking it was something and recommending surgery but it was actually something else so the the oh, thing wow. is that they were claiming that there was like inflammation and like a serious problem with the knee where actually my main problem was that my muscles were too weak 
to support my joints just because I was growing and I was growing too fast. Mm-hmm. Wow. So like you have those growth spurts and your body is just not able to support this bone growth because your muscles are right. still not as strong. But mm-hmm. doctors are like, no, right. this is because you're having issues here and we got to suck that inflammation out if you want to continue. And, and they wanted to do surgery when you were, and how old are you at this point? I was 10. I was like nine and a half, 10. And oh, so, oh my Lord. Yeah. And so my, my parents were, were very smart about it. And they're like, no, we're not getting any surgery done. We'll we'll get a we'll give it a fifth opinion, um, <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah. So they they let me rest, like just get over my grandmom's death, and so they're like, you do what you want. And so I kind of took a hiatus from sports, uh, got fat. So that was actually the first time I visited America as well. I came to the states <laughs> for a vacation, and I had a I had a six week vacation, and I put on like thirty pounds. Uh, wow <laughs> yeah oh, wow. because because all i was doing was eating junk food for six weeks yeah yes because it, it was it was a total vacation and it was great my mom my mom too because my parents didn't come with me on that trip i went with family friends and and my mom was like yeah you were always like fit and then you came back all roly-poly and i was surprised i'd never seen you like that and i was like i was like really i didn't feel fat <laughs> leave it to mom to point it out yeah thanks mom but but in but in that so the fifth grade was that little break and then in sixth my my same track coach brought me back into track but instead of running he's like let's make you do shot put because you're big now um and, and i was like sure why not and I, I did well. I, I, I broke like the, the record for our school for that age group. And, and he's like, yeah, you've got potential in this too. And so then nice. I got pushed into the field events where I started doing shot put, discus, and javelin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was just I was using my height and strength. And so sixth and seventh, I was doing the throws. And then in eighth grade, I got introduced to... I took a I took a slight break and got introduced to soccer. And so I started playing like I started playing a lot of soccer and that kind of helped me trim down my my weight too just with all the running. So was right. that your first entry into team sports versus kind of the individual? That was that was my entry into to serious team sports cuz yeah. other than that it was just like on the side you just play when you have some free time. Right. right. Um, also, just as a heads up, so my school was somewhat like Hogwarts in the sense that we had four houses and every year we had like the house cup and we competed Bro. for it. No what? way. Yeah. Um, wow. So what? we had we had yellow, green, blue and yellow uh, and red. And so I was in the yellow house. And so every year. No, isn't technically yellow... technically oh, Ravenclaw Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. OK. okay. Yep. Ravenclaw yeah, yeah, is blue. Ravenclaw is blue. Yeah. Gryffindor right. is red, and then Slytherin, Slytherin is, green. is green. All right, um, <laughs> but cool. those were those were not the names of our houses. <laughs> <laughs> Puffle, Pufflehuff. <laughs> you guys had owls and your mail too. <laughs> no, we had so we had we had Indian sages names as our house names, uh, uh, but our mascots were pretty cool. Like our mascot was the the cheetah, the yellow house. Cheetah. Oh, oh cool. okay. Was this a was this like a boarding school or is this just like a no, it was it was stuff. it was a regular school. You, you oh, went nice. home, okay. but I yeah. spent I spent all twelve years in the school. So I went, I did elementary, middle, and high oh. school in the same place. Oh. Um, okay. And so that's why I had the same track coach, like keeping me in. 
That's cool. So you build like a rapport yeah. with the people you, you know, yeah. do team sports or athletic yeah. coaching with. And yeah. so, so then I got introduced to soccer, got into that seriously, um, played a couple of games for school against other schools. So sort of JV type of, type of play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing track on the side too. I was still sticking to the throws. And then in ninth grade, I got introduced to basketball. Or at least I, I started kind of playing basketball well because I was like the only guy who could shoot threes because I was strong. Uh, <laughs> it's like all this shot put has helped me shoot the basketball. <laughs> right. That's pretty, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. And, and so then I was strictly a three-point shooter who could do nothing else on the court. Couldn't but dribble, <laughs> couldn't dribble, could barely pass, got really tense if the ball was in his hand to do anything else other than shoot threes. Right. Oh, wow. Um, and, then, and then I refined it. So I was then doing track and basketball most of the time. Uh, tenth, tenth grade was probably one of my busiest because I did states, I did nationals for track, I did mm. states for basketball, I did states for soccer. Uh, and then wow, I also, that's, that's and then wow. I also did a, a short stint of interschool with cricket. Oh, so wow. I, I played a little inter, interschool cricket, just that, again, that strength coming into play. And I think the general athleticism from track helped me excel in every team sport as well. Mm. Uh, so it was, it was easier to get into another sport because of track. So did you find, I guess, the cross training? very useful that like you having to you know work out for one sport and work out one way that you didn't have to do i guess over and above much more weight training or something else to to do maybe soccer or basketball or did you find that you had to really time manage each thing and compartmentalize how you thought about each sport uh, so I think the main problem actually was not really the training, but was the potential for injury. Okay. Oh, um, so the it wasn't the training, but it was actually the lack of recovery because I was just doing too much. Right. Oh, um, okay. And that's so tough, yeah. that's what that's what then sort of catapulted my injuries. So in in school, all my injuries were non-track. They were either from basketball or soccer. Really? Okay. Because and, what, and if you don't mind me asking, what, what were the types of injuries you were so, having from um, basketball track? So till till 10th grade I was okay. In in 11th I I rolled my ankle playing soccer. That's a which, tough one. Yeah. Which which actually it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be cuz I was right. I, I was okay within a month. Okay. But then in in twelfth grade I got hit hard. I I was it was my fault completely, and I was my competitiveness just came in the way. But we were having again our regular school cup basketball matches, and in the in the semi in the semifinal I tore my my ligament in my ankle. It wasn't my Achilles, oh, Jesus. but but I tore one of the other ones connecting the foot to the ankle. Oh, oh Jesus. Wow. And, and so, yeah, I was, I was, I stepped on a foot and I rolled it hard and it tore, uh, while I was driving in. And so, yeah, I tore it and the finals was 15 days later and I I recovered enough just to hobble around on the court. And even though against, even though against everyone's 
suggestions, I played the finals as well. Oh my god! Um, yeah, because anybody, anybody, doctor or not, is going to say don't, yeah, don't right. go out there yeah. in two weeks. It's it's like just don't, don't be, don't be dumb, just don't play. Right. And I was like, I'll be fine. My right leg is anyway the stronger leg, so I'll be okay. I won't drive in. I'll just shoot threes, which is what right. I did, and I I did it well, and we we ended up winning. And that's that was actually the tournament that I sort of felt like LeBron. <laughs> just because just because my my court presence was enough for my team to perform they were just yeah. motivated they were just motivated to work harder and play harder because yeah. uh, the oh, first God, yeah. so the, the first game of that tournament that we had uh i was late i overslept and i i came in like end of first quarter and we were down by 12 um, oh my gosh and so i was like okay let me get in my coach was like no you got to warm up first and i was like nah and he's like, no, you got it. And I was like, okay, fine. And you, so, pulled, you pulled a Willis Reed. Yeah. You, came out of the, you came out of the tunnel, no warm up, no nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so he was like, no, you got to warm up. And so I had to spend like most of the second quarter warming up again. Um, and then I put on my shoes and like, can I go in now? And he's like, yeah, sure. And now we were down 18. Mm. Um, and I was like, oh, this is going to be hard. Okay, you got to carry the team. <laughs> but as soon as I walked onto the court, at the end of that like little break, I think we had two minutes left in the second quarter. Uh, we went on a, a seven and zero run. Okay. Wow. And then in the third quarter, we went we we outscored them. I think it was thirty three to to fourteen. Wow. Okay. So yeah, you really brought the momentum in that game. And and I had only scored ten points. And so, and wow. then in the fourth quarter, I, I stepped it up and I said, okay, I'm going to end this. And then I dropped, I dropped, I dropped 18, <laughs> I dropped 18 and I said, okay, we're done. <laughs> but, you did go full LeBron. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it, even, even my, one of my close friends on the other team was like, dude, you just stepped on the court and your team started playing like they were all stars. And I was like, mm. yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a real thing. No, that's a real thing. That energy that you can bring. Yeah. Hell yeah. And, right. and so, yeah, so that was the season that I felt like LeBron. And I was like, I got to play the finals, man. Cause if I don't play the finals, we're going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was the thing. I, but the thing was, I then tore my ligament in my right foot in the process. That was, so, the, that was the other foot in the finals. Yeah. So I, I then, oh I then yeah, I, I wrecked my other leg. I, I still uh, scored I still scored like twenty two, but you I wrecked... pulled a Clay Thompson. You pulled a Clay Thompson. Yeah, yeah, you did. How are yeah. how you walking? How are you able to even just have the the? Because like now it's mental, right? Because you have to. It was go yeah. The it was actual activity. It was it was agony. So when I when I got hurt, we still had five minutes in the final quarter, and I came out, and after three minutes, we we lost a twelve point lead. We were from twelve, we were down to three points. Mm. In, three like, minutes? in three that's... minutes in three minutes and yeah that's what i'm saying I, I felt like lebron i was like guys i just stepped out for three minutes and you guys are struggling <laughs> and yeah, this so... is lebron literally on his first year with the lakers he's <laughs> boy and so the, like, the oh, thing was <laughs> the thing was i had to step back in and i stepped back in i knocked in two threes i knocked in two free throws and we ended up winning by two points but i had to stay on court which made it worse uh um, right because you can't walk, you just you have two torn ligaments. Yeah. yeah, I could I couldn't walk. I don't know I don't know how I moved, but it was a lot of pain, and I got a lot of shit from my parents, my coaches. Uh, all in all, a bad decision, but one I don't regret. That's good. So, I mean, yeah. Well, I was just gonna say. So, Andy, you you go from 
two torn ligaments in your ankles to at one point training seriously with 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 realistic expectations to make it to training for the olympics so can you yeah. walk us through that process like how just, just talk about your like olympic journey absolutely um my olympic journey has been sort of like a horse it's just been that that blind straightforward look where it's like whatever happens you just keep going Mm. And I think the first time that that wavered was when I when I had my accident. So I I tore my two ligaments in twelfth grade. I recovered from that. I built my speed back up. I think I was running eleven eight for the hundred, which um, is very good. And then I ended up winning the national. I went. I won the national gold medal in shot put as well even though I did like two weeks of training post recovery from the, the ankle injury. Wow. Um, but yeah, I couldn't run. I just didn't, I wasn't prepared to run. I was like, yeah, there's no way I would even stand a chance. Um, and then I came to UMass with like really high expectations of making the team. I dropped my time down to 11, four. And then I had some issues with, with coach O'Brien where he just, he was being very unrealistic at the time. The fastest runner in the team was running 11 two and he wanted Mm -hmm. me, he wanted me to run a 10 nine. And I was like, dude, that's not fair. Like, come on. So he wanted you to like crush the, he, yeah, he was, he was, he was being unfair. And I don't know like whether it was racism or bias or whatever it was, but he was being, it was his last year as coach too as the head coach for the track team. But he was, he was, I personally, I thought it was very unfair to expect me to drop like seven hundredths of a second. Uh, Even though your, even though your fastest runner is only two hundredths of a second faster than me. Like we, I could potentially beat him with your training and like help out with the team performing. But anyway, uh, yeah, that was how far, how far in advance was he asking you to do this? Was he not giving you enough time as well or? So the thing was, I walked on and he didn't really let me run for him. He just said that your time is not up to mark. Um, Okay. Which I was like, but at least give me a walk on tryout. And if I can beat the guys, then I should be on the team. Ought to to give you a chance. Yeah. Right. But anyway, it was, it was bad luck for whatever reason. It didn't work out. And so I was like, all right, it's fine. I'll continue training. I'll come back next year. Mm. Uh, Anyway, he's gone, so maybe the new coach will be more open. Um, and that was the same time that I got selected to go work at the 2016 Olympics. So I got to be an intern for the 2016 Olympics. Oh, that's awesome. And nice. so I went to Rio, did a bunch of work there, a lot of physical labor as well, because we, we had a social project where we were building a playground in the favelas. Uh, and those guys, like I was supposed to do four different projects where we were going to the garden and we were going to the playground and another place we were painting houses. Mm-hmm. And the first day that I was at the playground, they saw me lift like a 150 pound cinder block on my own. And they're like, this guy is not leaving here. <laughs> He's coming <laughs> to the playground every time. <laughs> which, which kind of worked to my benefit too. Cause like I was going up and down like a 150 foot hill with heavy cinder blocks and stuff and so that was like old school training for me right um 
And then I came back to UMass really pumped with like the Olympic fever. And so I walked on, Coach Jackson let me walk on and I ran a 10-9 and he was like, welcome wow. to the team. Wow. Mm -hmm. And a week and a half later, I got hit by a car. Oh, man. And yeah. yeah, that was that yeah. was that was wild. I got hit by a car. I broke my leg. I fractured my forehead. Um, and that one was hard. So up until this point, there was nothing that wavered my mental strength towards achieving the Olympic goal. But after I had that accident, it kind of just completely drained me of like all of it because it was like I worked up to my peak. Like there was only like room to move forward. And now this has pulled me back so far that it, I'm going to have to work twice as hard just to get back to, to being at what I was. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of, it was, it was a good three and a half weeks of, to a certain extent, self-pity, denial, being upset, mm. bunch mm -hmm. of tears for sure. The, the mass weather didn't help. Just all the snow and gloom. It <laughs> no, just, it does not. It, it was just like it, it was just like yeah, boohoo, yeah. Just deal with yeah. us more, more snow. And I was like, <laughs> okay, all right, fine. Hey, buddy, you're feeling down. How about some of this? <laughs> yeah. how, about not, how about not? Don't being you able feel to worse cause? now? It's just, it's just that it's just that fake hand that's that's supposed to like pull you up, but it just pushes you way way uh, farther down. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was the first time I felt a little, a little tickle of, of disbelief or just that slight loss in confidence of potentially being able to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but I came out of that as, as soon as I, as soon as my legs started getting better and I was actually healing at a much faster rate than I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I was being dumb too, because I was like trying to walk on that leg, which was stupid with the boot. Damn it, Andy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because the thing was, it was like I is that competitive mentality of win at all costs. Like, ah, my body can take it. Right. <laughs> but right. but in the end, I think it just it strengthened my right leg so much more. I I got hit in my left leg, and my right leg was solid. Like it, mm. my right leg had to right. carry me for like a month and a half, and I was like, yeah, it's like that Rick and Morty episode where he gets the arm of the, the different really big arm the yeah. really big yeah. arm <laughs> that has its own it's like, like your soul quad, your quad is insanely <laughs> yeah my, my the veins all the way down your leg. my my right quad and my right calf was like huge and then my left leg was like this scrawny little thing uh, right <laughs> hi there but and that was the thing i had to that was probably my biggest challenge was dealing and trying to bring that balance back and having to do a lot of single leg work for my left leg uh, but also doing enough to maintain my right leg strength. Um, and I worked, I worked a lot. I think that was also, so junior year was when I finally recovered. And then summer of junior year, I was like, all right, um, I'm back at it. I had trained in New York for a month with, a with an Olympic, a hopeful for the 400 mm. meters. And we'd, we'd made some serious progress and I was like, all right, I, I remember can, that. Yeah. I think I can get back on the team. And then I came back to UMass and one of our friends from from the tour guide group was like oh you should just try out for the the club uh disc team for uh ultimate frisbee and uh, and i was like yeah i'll come to the tryouts i don't think i'm gonna i don't think i'm gonna play but like it'll be a fun running around and so we played near the pond 
and I chased after one of the throws and I tore my hamstring in the process. Oh my gosh. And yeah, it was just like, it was that. either like an uneven spot or whatever, but yeah. Just, was it, it on the leg you were recovering from or? No, it was my, it was my right leg. It was my strong leg. Oh man. And, oh. uh, no, it was my left leg. Sorry. Yeah. That time it was my left leg. And the thing was, I, I think I had, I had minorly heard it when I was training in New York, but I didn't really like think too Address much it. of it. Think much yeah. of it. Yeah. And so I think that got aggravated. And so I was like, oh, there goes my track season for this year too. Oh, man. Um, but there I was like, it's fine. I'll deal with this. I'll come back stronger. I'll work out. I remember, I think, Max, I was I was posting my workouts uh, on the tour guide group and being like, if anyone wants to join me, and I'd it'd just be crickets because it was like a <laughs> two and a half hour workout. And everyone's like, yeah, I'm not working out with <laughs> well, this guy. Andy, I remember, I remember a couple times. Listen, hey, I, I joined you for a couple of those. Yeah. But you did abs for like a half an hour. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that you were trying to train a guy who sometimes like once a month will do abs for like five minutes. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'd go with you. And then the I next re- yeah. week, I just wouldn't be able I to remember Max, Max was out for a week because of my one of my ab workouts. <laughs> <laughs> no joke you kidding i'm the same way with max max will be like trace you should pick up a weight and i'll be like uh is that, is that do we get food afterwards can we talk about the food we're getting afterwards do i have to, do I have to pick up the weight now can we just talk about the weight i might pick up like <laughs> i'm like so the way max feels about you i feel about max when we're in the same weight room <laughs> yeah it was so yeah but i was i was trying to i was trying to see if i could motivate the the tour guides as well but it didn't work well, um, that's all right. It's it's yeah. really hard to to do that for people who don't. You no, know, absolutely. Want to, or that's just absolutely. not part of their and, lifestyle. I mean, it's it's just it's it's too much of a commitment, honestly. Like, and you just have a different mentality yeah. of where you want to be. Absolutely. Like someone that I guess wants to work out to be absolutely in good shape. You want to be in excellent, like tip top shape. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Right. That's right. just that just requires so much more mental fortitude and just so much more concentration yeah definitely it's and and the thing is that your your mental strength will get questioned throughout right right? the 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 mental side of it doesn't get a break at all because oh yeah it's it's not just it's not just the sports it's like everything else so like when you're in college you still have finals you still have work you have all these other things Mm -hmm. yeah we Um, forget about that yeah and so it, yeah. that and and that's the phase, right? So in high school, you had your own challenges. In college, you had your own challenges. Uh, Post college was another thing altogether. Like I remember once I was done with UMass, um, I had started training for the 2020 Olympics very aggressively. My my senior year, I was like, it's fine if I didn't run for UMass, but I'm going to do this. But then these little like, what should I say, um, temptations came in the way so it's like oh it's mm. your it's your final summit umass maybe you play some intramural sports and mm. okay. and so i was like i was like yeah i will because like i am being serious about my training but this is also a memory and so max and i played mm. the intramural basketball we had a great season we did have um, a great season. i did i did intramural volleyball made it to the playoffs did intramural uh, baseball or softball made that to the playoffs did intramural flag football made that to the playoffs and oh, wow. so it was a great yes. run it was it was a lot of fun i was like yeah i this this was a good way to do it because i made sure that i wasn't going to get hurt because i wasn't mm-hmm. throwing my body on the line this time i was like i'm just going to play for having fun i'm not going to play because awesome. i have to win 
right. uh, which was the biggest thing. <laughs> right. That was right. the biggest thing I had to keep training myself to do. And with each injury that happened, it was just more so of being like, hey, not every game is a championship game. You do not have to destroy your opponent. That's it's okay. Yeah, that, that's tough. That's a tough realization to get to, especially when you're so competitive for so long. Exactly. It's okay to, in some situations, take it easier because you know that it's going to help you in the long run. Exactly. And yeah, that's the thing. And the problem is that because it, it's like in every facet of my life, it took a longer time to get rid of it. Like Max knows I was competitive about picking up shifts as a tour guide. <laughs> oh yeah so we had this both in the summer and then during the thing like so we had a facebook group and that's typically where people would post anything so if they needed coverage if they wanted to swap shifts and i swear to god andy had his notifications on <laughs> so post, anytime post notice anything on. pops po those post notices were on and anytime something would pop up i'd like go i'd see it i'd go to like pick up a shift and andy would already commented on every single one for the next two weeks i'll take it i'll take it I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> and like, like, yeah. This man was everywhere. <laughs> He's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and that was the thing. Like, I, Max, I was competitive about 2K too. And it uh, was. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh, so, but who, oh, but who is it? Who wants to lose in 2K? That's. If you want. No, if you it's, play it's to not lose about, in 2K. It's not about wanting, but it's, it's that if you lose, you're so upset that you then spend uh -oh. hours playing so that you don't lose again. It was that kind of competitiveness. Yeah. yeah, because because I remember. So this is one <laughs> of my favorite memories. Was I, I went to Max's place, and so I ended up playing two K with his brother. And oh, I've also beat Max's brother. And so <laughs> this is a. But this, a great I wish he listened to this podcast. <laughs> I wish he listened to this podcast so he could hear both the, of these people who have absolutely wiped the floor no, with them. My the favorite, past. my favorite part he's, was he's not wiped the floor with me too. My favorite I'm part was lie. not my favorite part was not beating him, but was his dad's reaction. <laughs> Max's dad's reaction to me absolutely wrecking Sam. I was, remember that. He, he was he was <laughs> rubbing it in Sam's face so much. Each point I scored was just he's like, like he's just like and he'd be like be like max are you seeing this max get a load of this max he's so frustrated max he's so out of his thing and i love that like it was my brother was ready to like take the controller and break yeah, it in his hand yeah he was he was ready to smash my head with that controller he's just like get out of my house you're not welcome again <laughs> But but yeah, that was the that was the kind of competitiveness I had to bring down uh, mm. on the physical side of things, which which mm. took a while. But finally, I realized it. And then when I moved to L.A., it I wanted to do something specific in sports so that I didn't get distracted by work. Mm. Um, and I'd, I'd done sports management, too. So my life has always been around sports and I've always wanted to do something around sports. Right. And so I ended up working. I found a job with a health and wellness center, which was perfect. Cause, cause I, I worked right. my hours and then I got to use their gym and I got to use their ice bath and I got to use their sauna. And it was like the perfect, perfect, perfect place yeah. for recovery and training as hard as I can. Um, and that, that helped me a lot. And I also did a brief stint where I coached sports for, for kids. So ages five to 14, I coached soccer and basketball. And so that kept me on my feet too. And it was just, it was a good being active all the time but not to a point where i was getting hurt mm -hmm. and mm. so i was i was close to my i was close to my peak i had hit a i'd hit a 10 9 5 
Nice. So in, that, that's close to where you were in, in school, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and so that was that was March of, of last year and then COVID hit and I was like, oh okay. Yeah. yeah. I guess I guess uh I guess I'm gonna and, and the thing was I because I because I got hurt um training for the Olympics in twenty nineteen, I said that I won't go for twenty twenty, I'll aim for twenty twenty four. So mentally I was already like, okay, this COVID is not going to affect my, my 2020 run, but I was like, mm-hmm. what am I going to do now? Cause it's a big limbo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I worked out hard till about July. Then the pressure of staying in America came on because there were visa issues and potential, like, what's the plan? What do I do? Do I go back? Do I stay? Do I push to try and stay? But if I'm staying, what do I do? Mm. And so that pressure yeah. got to me. And then of course I had to sell my car and all that other stuff. Um, and so that put me in a limbo. So that till November, as I said, was, was a period where I didn't really do much. I wasn't very active. I couldn't do much. Um, and then coming fast forwarding now where I felt the real low of not wanting to do anything, uh, that was probably the hardest because that's when, and I'm sure you guys have probably experienced some level of it too, is where you just start questioning your own capabilities. It's mm. and it's not specifically to just sports. It's like everything. It's like, what yeah. do I do with this? What do I do with that? Will I succeed? You overthink. You overthink a lot. About exactly. Each, and like minutia. Yeah. And the the pressure I think comes in when you tend to have comparisons being played. So you tend you you tend to do it yourself too. Is that you'll see your peers or you'll see your friends or you'll see people you know doing really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then you're like, why am I why am I not there too? Yeah, and which that's like you're the, a completely different person with completely different scenarios, a completely different home life, a completely different skill set, a completely different mental, completely different you know situation and circumstance. But yeah, it, exactly. it's so hard to it's, not compare exactly. yourself. Exactly, and it's yeah. it's always. I mean, every time yep. you're in a low, you always think everything else around you is a lot better. It's yeah. it's that sort of grass yeah. is greener on the other side type of deal. And it's also For it's sure. also the evils of social media too because no Absolutely. one posts the, oh my God. the bad Absolutely. stuff Absolutely. that they like the, all the yeah. tough times they're going through on social media. They yeah. only post when, like, it's become like that on on LinkedIn now. Yeah, and I feel like LinkedIn's become the new Facebook. Yeah, where but it's just so like great, and I've I've done this job, and I've published yep. published yeah, this thank, research, yep. and I'm doing thank this. you, thank yeah. you for these people for getting me to my new job exactly. at this great big yep. corporation. Yep. I'm like okay, but yep. I mean. <laughs> I'll uh, doesn't really see happen. myself out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> and so you just end up being like getting a little more frustrated, even though you shouldn't yeah. be because, you know, you'll find and your way there too. I think more so the, the issues with uh, social media is that they're somehow trying to teach you that failing is not okay. Even though the words are mm. saying it's okay to fail. Right. The image that's being portrayed is that, Hey, these people are succeeding doing this. Why are you on your ass? And this is like, no, right. that's, that's just not how it yeah. works. Yeah. Right. As if they did it without any failure. Well, I mean, you know, you look at stuff like, like even this podcast too, you know, I, I take it and, and we're growing for mm-hmm. sure, you know, slow and steady, but mm-hmm. it's not like, we're not big by any means. We mm-hmm. have probably, I would say like 12 people that listen to us consistently each week, right? Mm-hmm. Which is huge. It's 12 people are listening to this podcast, which I For which sure. I really love and I appreciate. And if you are one of the listeners, like, thank you. That, that really makes it. But then you can like compare yourselves with other like sports people or you just compare yourself in general. You're like, 
well, what am I doing? Am I, am I wrong for spending my time on something that I like and something that I enjoy, but it's not, you know, in the eyes of the media, quote unquote, successful, right, you know, exactly. am I a failure for doing that? Exactly. And it makes you self doubt your own path and your own journey, yep. even though you just have to do what you love to do. And then the rest will eventually come. You need to like, you know, stay positive and just keep doing it and be consistent. And, right. but it's just hard to do that. Yep. Yeah, it is. It is tough. I think that's why keeping some sort of a daily mentality is definitely useful. I feel like if I come out of the day, not being frustrated about what I'm doing or, you know, having, having a good mentality about, Oh yeah, I was able to do this today at least. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. it, it yeah. pushes me like, I guess into the mode where I'm like, okay, I can sleep happy and I can wake up almost like clean slate. I don't even have to think about the last day. I just go back and do what I need to do. And I think that I think that's like the whole mentality of this podcast too. We don't just talk about uh, all the positives. We do weekly highs and we do weekly lows. So it's just, we, we, we care about all parts of our own lives. We don't just care about just, you know, focusing on what's happening. That's really good. And just push that out there. But there are people that need that type of motivation. I just think like, in terms of a more realistic view of life, we need something where we get that balance, like you're saying. So absolutely. And I think the the main thing which takes forever to like get used to, and it's always going to be a challenge is is just doing what you want to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. like doing it because you want to do it, not because right. it's gonna it's gonna benefit someone else, not because that's what the world is doing, not because it's it's popular or or any of it. But it's it's just something you want to do. Because as soon as you go down that path, then nothing else really affects you. Like you don't really feel right. yeah. you don't feel that. And that's what got me through through high school and college was, regardless of anything that you went through, I knew that like, I wanted to do sports. And that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. whether I was the popular kid, or whether I was the most hated, it didn't matter. Mm. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, 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 I mean, for, you know, it's like for Shrey, Shrey changes career path. Cause he's like, I'm doing medical stuff. And exactly. like, ah, I don't, exactly. I don't like that. And that takes mm-hmm. a lot of balls because a lot of people, you see a lot of people, especially at our point in life, they, they have to make the decision between, do I do something that I love to do and potentially at first make less money? Or do I do something that is going to make me a lot of money, but you know, I'm, exactly. I'm going just to a you're job be every miserable. day. Yeah. Mm. And your, your, your desire to pursue, the Olympics, despite all these setbacks, you know, and to keep on chugging, even though you've faced some of the most gruesome injuries a person can face, right. you're like, I want to do this, you know, in, in, in the bravery to keep on doing that. I mean, for me, making this, making all this, this content and I'm putting it out there and I'm not, I'm not getting paid to do any of it. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's that doubt in my mind. I'm like, well, if I'm not making money. What am I doing? But mm-hmm. it's something that I love to do mm-hmm. and, and, and being vulnerable and being, you know, having the cojones to just go and follow what you love. I mean, that, yeah. and there's some big ones, man. About. There's some big ones. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that's what like, it's all about. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of the careers that people like what they're doing start out, can start out as hobbies and it just interests and, and then they turn into something because they don't care. They didn't care from the beginning about, what like how that could be monetized in the future they just cared about actually doing it like i I guess no one starts out like life saying like you know what my Mm -hmm. interest is 
making making money at like the age of eight (laughs) exactly and i feel like if you if you are then wow like you're some sort of immense entrepreneur prodigy like that's i have more props to you a lot of people Ty Lopez, <laughs> just you have the knowledge already. Knowledge, but invest in the, Bitcoin, <laughs> Daddy, Daddy. What do you want? I want Bitcoin. Bitcoin. <laughs> okay, son. Here's ten thousand dollars. My father gave me a small loan of a million dollars. Only we could all be so lucky. <laughs> but that—that's the thing. Is like a lot. Like it can start out as something that you're just interested in it becomes it becomes grows more into a profession absolutely once you once you i guess obviously gain the knowledge and then also you grow into not not it just being what you like you like you still like to do it you now just want to keep continue growing and obviously monetization will be a part of that at some point so that's just how you got to think of it you can't think of it from the get-go. because because the problem is that our only factors of measuring success are money and fame right yeah and that shouldn't right, be fact. the case at all like you guys are yeah. very successful you guys have a podcast that now has 26 episodes come on mm. that is that is successful yeah so yeah that's that's the thing it's it's not always about the money or about the recognition in terms of success right yeah, we right. Absolutely. We've stayed consistent to this for 26 weeks. Yeah. You know, since the new year, we've made an episode every single week. We said, "Hey, we want to do it." Yeah, actually, wait a minute. That's a that's a good perspective, Andy. Because you know, you, especially in college, you meet a lot of people, and there's a lot of people who you know you'll be talking, you'll get to know them, and you'll be like, "Hey, we should should do this." Yeah. And they'll say, "Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Of course, we absolutely should yep. do this." And then when it comes time to actually doing this. They're gone. They're not there. They're yeah. uh, oh well. I have like, oh uh, this, shit, man. I uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, how about how about we try it next 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 week? Uh, next yeah. Week. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's doers and then there's like should doers. All right. Yeah. So before we get going, Andy, I want to ask mm-hmm. you one more question. Sure. So for the future, mm-hmm. just looking into the future, do you hope? Because I could see you doing this. Do you hope to one day coach? and teach others any kind of sport, whether that is track, whether that is shot put, whether that is basketball, whether that is soccer, do you hope to coach? And if so, what is the one piece of wisdom that you want to make sure that all of your trainees understand? Yeah, so I I mean, having already done a little bit of coaching, um, I definitely want to. I The thing was that throughout my track career, um, I experienced the sort of the hardship of, of being in track in a, in a country like India because we just don't get the same recognition. It's like everyone's right. about cricket. So like even when I would mm. go for a national games, I would get $10 for eight days as a stipend. Um, <laughs> oh my Good luck. <laughs> and, and, but, cricketers, but cricketers would be put, and, and I would have like a shitty, a shitty accommodation, but cricketers would be put in like a three-star hotel, free food, uh, like kits and they would get stipends of money which is like going directly into their pocket because they have zero Dang. expenses right. um, and so like they're being flown and I have to take the train or the bus and so that kind of catapulted me into being like no I want to improve sports in India so I want and it's not just India like I would I would happily have this global as well but I do want to to coach or train or create a system 
that coaches and trains kids that like pushes them to succeeding and they don't have to deal with all this kind of crap. Nice. There's no like I guess like politics behind it. You just want an even yeah. playing field for yeah. all sports yeah. for all like children. Just, yeah. Just make it make it private so that politics can't come in the way. Mm. Yeah. Um yeah. yeah. And in terms of in terms of the advice that I would want um the wisdom. The wisdom that I would want all my trainees to know is that you don't have to do it if you don't want to even mm. even so even say say you're training your ass off for a sport and you you suddenly realize that this is just too much work but you know that there's there's like a a crazy amount riding on it because you know that people want you to do it you don't have to it's okay like mm. you can you mm. can you can stop at any time and start something else uh it's not that once you've committed to something you have to stay committed you can change your commitment if you want to mm. like you don't wow. it's yeah. it's just that's just something like because i've even the kids that i train and they're like yeah i want to be like these cute little whatever five six year olds are like i want to be the next soccer star i want to be the next megan rapino and i was like that's a great dream to have but along your journey say in high school you don't want to play soccer anymore it's okay like yeah. you yeah. don't have to push yourself to that. Yeah. And it's also it's also great to try new things all at once as well and figure out which one you want to stick with. Absolutely. Right? Coming from, so Absolutely. like like you did, you tried so many different things and you were like, I really like track and field events, especially sprinting. And yep. then but you're still but you're still able to, you know, incorporate things for like mentalities from other sports. Like yeah. you like you were saying, like you did shot put. But then it helped you play basketball at least to start out with. Yep. And so like that type of like just kind of cross training, just like having those experiences, like any kid should have if they want. First, they shouldn't. They want, yeah, should they don't. The they don't. To. They don't need to limit themselves right. to that. Mm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that wow. would that was something that was something I wanted I wanted them to know because that's something you you should incorporate in life as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's it's both on the field and off the field. Like it's just something it's just one piece of advice that I, I give everyone nowadays, even though like it's it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And I, I feel, <laughs> All right, I feel, Andy, man. Listen, we've already heard this one before. Yeah, right. <laughs> like back back in my day. Back, back in my back day. Oh, oh, your kids don't understand. Back in my day, we we, we did things different ways. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, good. I'm glad, Andy. Thank you very much for coming on the show. You, I mean, Andy. this is this is the type of thanks like, for having good, me, guys. I'm so real happy to conversation here. that mm, you just you just love to see it. And so, yeah. I mean, everybody, keep you keep your heads up, kings and queens, and everybody else. You know, just it's it's tough. It's hard to compare yourself. But I've definitely noticed myself using social media less now because I realize that I don't mm. feel good mm-hmm. after. Like, I'll use it to promote the show. Mm-hmm. I'll mm. use it to make my, you know, content. But I'm, I don't really, like, consume as much anymore because yeah. I don't feel good. Yep. Yeah. So I, t- I tell Max this all the time. Like, like if you're going to contact me, just text or call. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't use the social media platforms as much yep. to – other than maybe, like, Messenger. Mm-hmm. But – other than that, like I just don't like that kind of interaction as much as maybe I once did. Because it's just not, it's, it doesn't fulfill me. Because they've programmed that way too, right? Like they they're yeah. trying to hook you in and then just keep you there. 
keep you right. there. Right. Yeah. And one thing too is that you know you also think, especially after you leave college, you think that you're going to stay friends with everybody forever. Yeah. And a lot of people fall off, yeah. but you got to appreciate the people who put in the effort and who you put in the effort to stay in contact with because those right. are like, I mean, those even if it's one or two friendships or more, you know, those are the people that like, that's what matters, right? That your relationships right. with those people. You that's don't have what, to have. That's what I. That's what I used to friends. tell you. That's what I used to tell you in college too, right, Max? I was just like, you stay yeah. friends with whoever you want to be friends with. You don't have to worry about any friends else. with everybody. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And the people who want to talk to you are going to reach out, and you reach out to the people who you want to talk to, and that's sure. that's that. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, again, Andy, thank you very much. You have an incredible story so far because it's not done yet right. um, sure. but you have an incredible story so far so thank you for sharing that with us thank you for sharing that with our listeners and we'll, we'll uh, keep an eye out for your pod. for your journey as well andy we'll, we'll keep an eye out for it thanks guys and it was it was yeah. great to be here so happy yeah absolutely thank you andy and we'll 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 stay in touch of all course. right <laughs> of course well you have been listening <laughs> to another episode of amateur hour a professional sports podcast by people who have never played professional sports I'm your host, Max, along with Treyas, and we'll see you next time. Peace.